Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, the 2022 Stanley Cup champions defeated the 2021 Stanley Cup champions on Monday night as the Buffalo Sabres pounded the Tampa Bay Lightning 5-1. to one. Uh, This is coming off of uh, a couple of weekend losses for the Sabres where they first lost to the Bruins 4-1 on Friday, followed by an overtime loss of 2-1 to the Devils on Saturday. But you know what? As all Stanley Cup contenders and all-time great teams do, you bounce back from adversity, and that's exactly what this team did. So, Taylor, what do you make of this weekend's games, and how has your opinion of of the Sabres this season changed, if at all? So for starters, my opinion on the team hasn't changed much, but I would say it's moved in a positive direction in a slight way over the past three games for a few reasons. So for starters, that Bruins game, they, on the scoreboard, it didn't look good. And I wouldn't expect them uh, to compete with the Bruins. if The Bruins are on because their goaltending, Melina Selmark was actually pretty good. And the Sabres goaltending was meh in that game. Only bad game really all year so far in that department. But I don't really expect the Sabres to really match up with teams that have dominant top lines. Unless that team has really bad depth or bad goaltending or a, a bad defensive core, the Sabres, you know, they're at a pretty big disadvantage with any team that has a good top line because the Sabres don't really have that right now. They don't have a, anything close to that. So that, but even with that, the Sabres kind of outplayed them a little bit. The Sabres got a lot of shots. They got a lot of shot attempts. Uh, their expected uh, goals, you know, were good in that game. Like they didn't get blown out. It's a four-one loss, I believe, but that's not the worst thing in the world. Whatever, it was their first loss. Uh, Saturday's game uh, was boring, not a great game, but the Sabers also didn't play poorly. I think talent-wise, you might say New Jersey has a little bit more talent. And the Sabers have a little bit more depth. Uh, they definitely have more talent. They have, you know, Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer, um, but. Again, that was a pretty good game. It goes in overtime. That could go either way. I believe Tokarski started, and he did a good job. And then the Tampa game, and I think that's the most interesting one so far. So that was a game where Anderson was kind of um, stealing the show for for a lot of the game. Like the Sabres shouldn't – it shouldn't have been a 1-1 game or – yeah, 1-1 it was for a lot of the game. It shouldn't have been. 
uh, <laughs> they were just not playing nearly as well as Tampa Bay. And that's should be expected, even without Kucherov and the five or six guys they lost in the offseason. Tampa Bay is still much better than this team. But then something happened in the second. The Sabres take the lead and they don't start really outplaying Tampa necessarily, but they start really clamping down on defense while not really sacrificing offense. And that leads to obviously they take a 3 1 lead and then they get two empty netters. So it's, it looks great at 5 1. But it, the reason I thought it was impressive is because we watched this last year with Ralph Kruger. And in fact, I watched this with my professional soccer team last year as well parking the bus or defense that you're so focused on defense that isn't even that good at defense uh, that you sacrifice offense. And even at Kruger's best or the Sabres under Kruger's best in like the 2019, 20 season, when they were really good in the expected goals against area because they were playing good defense, good team defense, they were not playing good team offense. They were sacrificing team offense for everyone pretty much except Eichel to be able to get that good uh, team defense. So if they can, clamp down and play good team defense and get good goaltending at the same time while also still keeping the four check on. That's great. And that's a sign that Granado uh, is really breaking through to them and is trying to get them to do play a smart way playing us in a, I, you know, you don't want the Sabres to be like, we have to score a goal. You don't want to be in that mode up three, one against a better team, but you would like them to not just park the bus either. So it seems like Granado is uh, smart and <laughs> he's a, like it's that's not a novel concept but like what he's doing is working with the team um so i'll say all those good things before we get any more let's say quote unquote realistic what did you think of those games yeah i mean with me being out of town and everything i only was able to catch highlights and and caught a couple of recaps but i was able to see monday's game and i think just Piggybacking on your point there, I think that if this start has shown me anything, it has shown me the importance of who your coach is. Because I think a lot of times in sports, we get bogged down with, and rightfully so, with just only focusing on the makeup of the roster, the makeup of the roster, the makeup of the roster. Like, and in large part, you know, for the past 10 years for the Sabres, that has been their main downfall is that the team just hasn't been good enough. But I think what Granado is showing is that even though you may have some deficiencies when it comes to your roster or a certain position or whatever it is, what good coaches are able to do is utilize their players to their strengths. Again, the antithesis of Ralph Kruger of what Ralph Kruger was doing and to not force them into positions that may, you know, highlight a weakness just because you want them to play a particular kind of way. And I think that when we're looking at a guy like Granado, I mean, we have a less talented roster than we had last year. We had talked about that last week, I think a bit that, you know, this year's team on paper, at least is not as good as last year's. I would say save for maybe, you know, on defense, I think that there's some definite improvements there with maybe addition by subtraction when it comes to rest alignment. But all in all, last year's team should have been a lot better than what it was. And on paper, stacking these two teams up against each other, that team is absolutely better than this year's team. However, again, it comes back to Granado and him just being able to, you know, I think part of its system, I think part of it is the fact that this is, this isn't just like a roster of a bunch of outcasts and nobodies. These are guys who 95% of them belong in the NHL. And for of that 95%, probably like 80% of them 
are at the point in their careers where they're trying to figure out what their place is in the hierarchy of an NHL locker room and an NHL roster. You have guys like Middlestat and Cousins who maybe are trying to vie for jobs that are a little bit higher up the lineup, but then you have a guy, you have guys like Asplund, for example, who is really starting to come into his own and showing that he could be a really quality, effective bottom six forward for them. So I mean, all in all, I, I just I keep going back to Granado and, and what he's able to get out of them and maximizing what you're able to get out of a roster that is is not as good as how they're performing right now. I don't think anybody would dispute that. And I think that probably leads into what we're going to talk about next, which is the eventual regression that's going to come. Yeah. So looking right now. I will say that they're not getting destroyed and getting saved by goaltending or crazy shooting percentage or anything like that. They're playing well in pretty much every game. The Tampa game was the first time where they really didn't play up to the competition for a lot of the game, but they did well in the second half of the game, especially the third period and one. So, but yeah, see your point here. This is the main thing right now. Craig Anderson has a 944 save percentage. Dustin Tokarski has a 950. So there is that. That's not going to last. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, no, neither of those are going to last. Uh, the thing is, they're getting unbelievable goaltending, and we thought they would be getting like the wor- some of the worst goaltending outside of Arizona. So it might be somewhere in between. Like maybe Anderson can be like over the course of the year, like a 9-10 or 9-12 guy. He's 41. That's rare. It's very rare to be that good at that age or be able to play a lot of games at that age. But yeah, it's not completely unprecedented. Uh, And Tokarski, who knows, man? He has not been an NHL goalie and he's been just an okay AHL one. So I don't expect him to have a 950 for the year. But what if he just has a year where he's okay? Like he's at 907. This team would be pretty good. It'd be an okay team. Like not, not really okay. Like they'd still be bad and they missed the playoffs by a decent amount. But like... They wouldn't be embarrassing. They, they would, the goaltending would not lose them games the way we thought it would. Maybe that'll be the case. Hey, goaltending is unpredictable. I could tell you before this year that this roster was not going to get uh, blown up uh, at even strength. It wasn't going to get destroyed by other teams. And I'm, unless there's a bunch of injuries, I'm confident that won't be the case for most of the year. But goaltending, I couldn't tell you which way is up, pal. Like, they won't, I know they won't be this good, but like, what if it ends up that, like, at the end of the year, Anderson starts 45 games and has like a 913 and Tokarski starts like 30 something and has like a 906 or 907. And then UPL has some starts and he's in the nine ten range as well. You're going to be like, no way that could never happen. Like, of course that could happen. And that's a huge, huge difference compared to having two guys in the high eight hundreds. Like, like it seemed like they might have before the year. I, I honestly, just hearing you say that I cannot compute. Craig Anderson going above a 910 save percentage on the whole year. I mean, obviously, we know their numbers right now are in no way sustainable. Tukarski is not going to be continuing to be playing at that rate. And I think that once the numbers even out, it'll be closer to that. But like, even if you, I, I could even say prior to the hot, I was going to say like prior to the season, I, I would have never believed that. And even prior to knowing how good Anderson has been so far this year, there is just like no way in my mind that he's going to end up with above a 9-10 save percentage. And if he does, that will be absolute best case scenario, better than Kevin Adams or anybody in that front office ever could have envisioned. I mean, 
in reality, like no matter what happens, these guys aren't going to be good enough to make the playoffs. But if the goalies are playing well enough to keep their head above water, at least for a bit, so that they're not just continuously drowning for long stretches at a time. Yeah, it may not be the best case scenario for your prospects for trying to get, you know, the first overall pick so you can get Shane right. But I got to be led to think that it's going to help with the guy with uh, your younger players development that they're playing in meaningful games, not meaningful in the sense that they're, they're playoff games or anything like that, but just that when they're going into any given night, they're not looked at as this is an easy one to just chalk up a win against. You know, if they're playing in March and they're around 500, I will be completely blown away expectation-wise for what we had anticipated for this year. Completely. If they yeah. play at 500 or at, by the end of the year, are at like 500 i mean again it's gonna suck obviously because it hurts your chances at shane Wright. but like how can you not look at that as like an overwhelming positive because as great as the goalies have been it's also you know not like they've been having to stand on their head 60 minutes a night like they're getting support from the team so i it's tough because i want shane Wright. i think i think that having shane Wright is way more important than coming in like 20th. But with that being said, though, it's kind of undeniable that if they come in 20th compared to what we've had for the past 10 years, and especially the past few years, that that would not be organizationally viewed as an overwhelming success. Yeah. Shane Wright. uh, I mean, there's not much you can do about it. It's not like last time when you can finish last and guarantee one of the top two. It's a lottery, and if the Sabres aren't – I mean, there's – we'll be, maybe we talk about this later. There's a few teams making a, seemingly a full-court press to finish last. Um, but to, to your point about being close to 500 potentially, like, that would be huge. Like, during this drought, the best season of the drought was the first one when they were still competing for the playoffs and just missed out. After that, the lockout season, which everyone wanted to kill each other during the lockout season, I think there was a, a big existential crisis around here about us having to finally enter a rebuild during that lockout shortened season. And it was a 48 game season. The Sabres had 48 points. So you can extrapolate that over a full season to, or prorate it to 82 points. They really haven't been that good. I mean, the year where the NHL shut down two years ago, they were also at a point a game. So they're on pace for 82 points. That's the peak. The other best is 81 points, which was in 2015, 16, which was Eichel, O'Reilly, Ryan Hart and Kane's first year. So other than that, I've not really touched 500. Uh, which is bad because 500 in the NHL is a fake 500. It's 500 right. points percentage wise, which is not actually 500. If the Sabres are a true 500, I will be stunned if they yeah. win 41 games. But if they're a fake 500, like NHL 500, it'd be pretty surprising still. It would mean the goaltending held up in a way that we didn't think it would. Uh, but the way things are going right now, I don't think it's like, wow, no way that could happen. I mean, I even would say to go off of that, even being at the point now where we're saying that is incredibly surprising. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You really, really can't overstate how good they have looked. I I mean, you know, we talked too about just the fact that, let's be real, the schedule is not the most difficult to start off the year. But with that being said, I mean, if you looked at the first 10 games of the season and you had to, you know, gun to your head, had to pick one that they were going to lose, it would have been Monday. And yeah, five to one. I mean, that's great. Obviously, you know, it's one game and it's a long season, but uh, I, I think that it is 
completely warranted and fair for people to, you know, be happy about this and lean into it. You know, I, I think that's something too. I think that that's worth bringing up that has been incredibly annoying that I've seen on Twitter over the past week is these like national people or people up in Toronto who have been like easy there Sabres fans. It's only been a couple of weeks. Like now we're already planning a cup parade and it's like, yeah, like, oh, yeah. Like we need any goddamn help being sad. Like literally though, like negative. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Wow. We've had, it's not like we've had two straight years where we've had unbelievable runs and the team has been in position to be in the playoffs in, uh, you know, halfway through the season. Like, yeah, we know the heartbreak, man. Like we, we get it. We know nobody's getting ahead of themselves, but I think that for anybody, us included, as we are saying, and anyone who's listening right now, like we should feel excited about this and not in the sense of being like, Oh my God, could this be a playoff team? But they look good. Let's enjoy it. How often are we able to sit there and enjoy it? Because I'm telling you right now, when the regression starts to hit, a few months from now, we'll say in like February, like post-Olympics and everything, we get into February, March, and if the losses start piling up more and more, it's not going to be as enjoyable, at least as it is right now. Not that, you know, we should be like, you know, steam out the ears angry about them losing at any point, because that is the expectation, and they are well aware of that. But what's wrong with enjoying the fact that they're playing well right now and knowing that that's going to come. I mean, it's just so annoying. So also in 2018, 19, the Sabres won 10 in a row in November. And in that 10 game win streak, six of those games are in overtime or a shootout. Like, yeah, like early that year. So yeah, they at one point there was 17, six and two or something like that. And they had, had gotten really good, well, pretty good goaltending, better than you would expect goaltending from those two guys, Hutton and Olmark. And then they just win all these games in overtime in a shootout. And it's like, that's not sustainable to go six and oh, and in, in that, but they were still playing pretty well. And then they just started playing. They started playing worse. They started not getting all the luck in overtime in the shootout. And the goaltending started to uh, not be as strong, especially from Hutton. The wheels fell. So, yeah. So it wasn't going well. 1920, they started the year eight, one and one. Carter Hutton was incredible. He had back-to-back shutouts at one point. Like, again, they were playing better. They were not playing poorly. Like, they weren't getting destroyed, but they were not playing very well either. Uh, and th- that really is not the case here. They're, they're playing pretty well, especially considering their talent level. So this is the biggest surprise out of the three, I think that they're four, one and one right now uh, out of the three good starts, we'll say, but it's, it seems to be the most sustainable, even with, even with, as we mentioned, the safe percentages earlier, just because they're playing well against bad teams. That's the other thing. Like, I don't need to be told that these are bad teams that they've beaten aside from Tampa. So they, their first three games were against Montreal, Vancouver, and blanket on the other one, the one in the middle. Uh, well, well, it doesn't matter. In the beginning of the year, you're, wait, you're yeah, saying, who was the second game against? Uh, it was Arizona. It was Montreal. Yeah, oh, that's right. Yep, yep, yep. So, yeah, so I don't need to be told, uh, that those three teams are bad. I know. So, I watch the games, those are not good teams, even though one of them was in the Stanley Cup last year. So, they've beaten three bad teams, they lost in overtime to a bad team, they lost to a probably good team, and they beat a probably good team so far. So, yeah, this is. This is going to be an easy start. The first 11 games the Sabres play this year are their easiest stretch. So I'm going to say confidently that they will be not a team that plays at this point pace all year. 
and they will probably be in the well i picked 67 to start the year i might move to the 70s now my expectations welcome so that'll that'll probably be like what they are and this this goaltending won't hold up here's the thing right now they're also not getting a lot of goals compared to the chances they're getting but that, I think that's more sustainable than good goaltending, just because I don't think this is a team of finishers. Jeff Skinner's a finisher. I mean, hopefully still. Olafson's a finisher. Anyone else? Remains to be seen. Remains to be seen if anyone can really finish True. besides those guys. Hopefully Middlestat's back at some point. He's picks up where he left off last year. He's supposed to be back after the road trip, apparently. That, that'd be great. Yeah, and then uh, besides that, better just keep getting a lot of opportunities because I don't see them shooting at a very high clip. No. But hey, this we should be happy the way things are. Well, okay, we should be happy in the short term. Which actually, you know, that's an interesting way to talk about the Sabres because I think you can't really get bo- too bogged down in either the minutia or the, the long term, you know, seeing, seeing things. You can't zoom out or zoom in too far or else you sound – you just end up either sounding ridiculous or sounding like, why do you want to do this? Because you can't have a Sabres podcast and be, so it's very, it's fine to be like the Pagoulas ruined this franchise. There's 8,000 people there in the stands. This is a shell of what it used to be. People are getting excited about a team that's going to get 70 points. What is the point? This is, this franchise is dead until further notice. That's not necessarily wrong, but if you're going to think that nothing short of uh, three straight years of like, continued improvement from this point is going to really change your mind probably and no there's no like way of engaging with anything if that's the way you look at things but you're not also not necessarily wrong if you look at things that way but i think if you do i would advise you to just take a break for a while it's not homework it's hockey come back when it's fun come back when it feels good i guess (laughs) on the other hand you can't just I, I, I get annoyed by this sometimes, too, with people getting so into the minutia. They're like, what are you mad about? Like, you should be mad the Sabres are at this point. This is going to be the 11th straight year they miss the playoffs in all likelihood. But having said all that, things are better, or at least they seem like they're better than they were a year ago. I'm so much more optimistic uh, with the way the franchise is operating, and I think you might have to credit some of that to Kevin Adams. We'll see if he continues it up. This is a, it's a big we'll-see situation. But I, I do like what I see, him hiring two analytics guys, him bringing an experienced assistant GM who's won where he's been, him actually hiring scouts, him uh, drafting guys like low or high-scoring guys that people like, like, you know, the guys they've taken af- beyond the first round in these two drafts. Our Russian the buddies. Pa- yes. The way Paterka looks. Yep. The way a lot of prospects not named Jack Quinn look. Um, hey, man, he's even been looking good. I will say – I yeah. are ripping it up in Rochester right now. We'll, we'll see what happens. And I know we're both in similar mindsets when it comes to Jack Quinn, obviously yeah. given who was taken right after him, but I will give credit where it's due. The dude's looking good down there with Paterka. So we'll see if it's, if they keep it up. That's right. Well, before we get to anything else, let's, let's hear a word from our uh, sponsors at DraftKings. NFL fans, hungry for a big win this weekend? I'm sure the Buffalo Bills are. Yes, we are. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 in any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's that simple. You love that. Yeah. If Sportsbook (laughs) isn't available in your state yet, 
DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So, you got to just download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, bet just $5 in any NFL team to win their game, and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code THPN. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, that last part is pretty important, by the way, everyone. If you if you have a gambling problem, don't gamble. Uh, anyway. Advice. Anyways, can we talk about, again, just quickly, winner, winner, chicken dinner. You're You're feeling that. That's what, that's what it says in the ad read. I, I didn't write it. It sounded like an ad lib. I don't know if I believe you, man. That's it just seems it's, like it's in there. You're getting really excited about it when you say it. And I just thought that maybe I, I am a huge fan of chickens in all their various forms. Maybe I'll get Popeyes for dinner. Ooh, there you go. I didn't win anything today. Well, hold on. Spurs might win their game today. So, oh my God. Perfect. Then that's, yeah, then, then that would. That would make me a winner by proxy. Um, but, hey, I have a correction from one of the previous episodes. Oh, no. It was last Thursdays. It's not a bad one. So I said Ted Nolan. I erroneously said Ted Nolan was the third uh, third all-time in uh, coaching wins for Sabres history. Uh, it's actually third in games coached, I believe. He's fifth in coaching wins. So that makes me feel a little bit better. Wow. Okay. Well, I guess considering he has one playoff appearance and the little, the, the little things. Yeah, so many guys, even when the Sabres are good, didn't coach for very long. Like the seventies, guys didn't they didn't just coach for very long. Them. Yeah, the first first decade, like like they were like good and stuff. Like they were good under Floyd Smith and he just he didn't stay. First guy that we stayed though was uh, uh Bowman, obviously. They're very good under Bowman. They were not as good as some other teams that were under Scotty Bowman. Yeah, he that guy. Uh, he was he was he was good at uh, at the coaching. Yeah, at the coaching. So we want that. Actually, kind of reminds me organically about the other situation in hockey this week. Do we want to talk about that at all? I think we should. Yeah, I figured we we would at some point. Um, I mean, just grotesque details coming out from Chicago. The report, I believe it was about like a hundred pages or so, right? Like finally. Got released about the incidents uh, dating back to 2010 with upper management and some just messed up sexual assaults, uh, the, the handling of it, the situation as a whole, just from top to bottom, it is a absolute mess. It's, it's just terrible. Like it's just the fact that so many people were involved that, denied their involvement or denied knowing about it and that we sense no that is not the case like joe quenville immediately comes to mind same with um uh what's his name in winnipeg um kevin shuffle day off yeah exactly with those two i you know it's it's horrible man like it's hard because it, it just knowing that 
it's 11 years after the fact of this happening. And then this is just one story that we know about when in reality, not even just in hockey, but across all sports, it's, this is just something that is unfortunately like commonplace and gets swept under the rug far more than it ever should, which is in every single instance. I, I, I don't know. What, what did you have to make of it? So, yeah, I just want to say like, so anyone who didn't, uh, really hear or doesn't know much about what actually happened so I like could have done that sorry <laughs> oh no that's not a problem so I, I would say first of all you should read about it because there's a lot of details you don't have to read the whole report or anything but there's a lot of news stories out there right now you could find but the long and short of it is there's an accusation that a the video coordinator for the i think his name is brad aldrich for the blackhawks in 2010 um had sexually assaulted a player on the blackhawks and also a couple players in their ahl team i believe and this was brought to the, the let's say, management of the team in May of 2010, which is right after they had clinched the Western Conference Finals, and they collectively decided to not do anything for like three weeks and just be like, well, we're in the Stanley Cup. What are we going to do about it? They win the Stanley Cup. Obviously, they have the parade. All the while, this coach is still around the player, you know, the alleged victim this whole time. Um, so that's, that's already a bad enough thing. Make it worse. They don't. They just, he kind of quietly goes away and they don't really say anything. And he goes on to coach and uh, other places and eventually also uh, assaults a uh, high school boy. I believe boy, a high school student, uh, high school aged kid. Uh, so that's, that's the long and short of it. There's a lot more details you can find, but the Did thing is that all the people. That, intern too? Oh, that's, and I forgot about that. Uh, went on to allegedly harass a marketing intern. Uh, during the cup celebration and got his day with the cup, <laughs> which <laughs> is crazy. So basically the people, the, the not smoking gun, but the, the thing that this comes back to is all the people in, in the management group that all collectively decided this together. And that includes like Brennan said, Joe Quenville was a coach at the time. Stan Bowman was the GM at the time. Kevin shovel day off, I think was an assistant GM and, there's also a lot of people, a lot of people, weirdly high amount of people that have good jobs across the league. Mark Bergevin worked there at the time. I don't know if he was involved in that meeting. Because uh, I, I think I, read, I think I had read something that he was like th that evidence had come out that he did not know. That makes sense because he's not talking to Batman, uh, or he doesn't have to talk to Batman. And then like John McDonough, who John McDonough still employed. Not I sure. Know. I don't know. But anyway, uh, he so basically Quenville and Cheval Dayoff both have to talk to Batman. And like, it's not out of the question that they should really lose their jobs. Like that is a, a really big thing to just let go. It's I, that it doesn't need to be overstated how, what a, what a terrible thing that is and what a terrible couple things it led to. And there's more information in there too, like about the, the player not feeling supported by his teammates, things like that, or, you know, not great since a lot of those, some of those guys are still on the Blackhawks now. And some of those guys are still out across the league, but it's the Blackhawks did not get much of a punishment out of this. What was it? $2 million fine. And then I think that they fired everybody who was there in 2010, who was still with the organization. Yeah. Everyone, but the owners. Right. Which like, I mean, there you go. Like let's, that, that, that's the thing right there in and of itself. Is this even, close to an appropriate punishment i think most rational people probably say no no like this is not even close like you're gonna penalize the arizona coyotes 
more for illegally air quote illegally uh working out prospects as compared to somebody who was sexually assaulting players and employees like are you kidding me yeah i I believe the devil's got a bigger fine for their illegal contract with with kovalchuk yeah it's crazy i mean that's just not it a financial fine of any kind for an organization is like nothing because especially the blackhawks they're worth quite a bit of money they're probably the fourth richest team in hockey i had to guess like it's no, it's no object. The Wirtz family can afford it. No problem. And beyond that, it feels like, okay, so Stan Bowman probably won't work in hockey, at least for a little while. And meanwhile, he is, so he steps down from Team USA. Team USA's assistant GM is also currently on suspension for his role in potentially covering up another unrelated sexual assault. So now they need to get a new GM. That's not the biggest part of this obviously but less than four months away from the olympics they don't have a gm because they had two separate guys that both were involved in covering up sexual assaults or not reporting them that's just insane yeah i mean looking at cheval dayhoff in in quenville the same question will come up as what came up in 2010 the reason that this was covered up one of the reasons I'm sure is like, they're, they're probably like, we're not doing this during the Stanley cup. We're not, not firing a guy right before the Stanley cup. Like that would, I don't know what the reason was literally is. like I mean, the it would, quote would be a distraction. That yeah. It'd be a distraction. They that, so that, hard to get here. Are we, it was something like, are we, we don't know if we'll ever even be at this point again. Like, Oh my God. Yeah. So that's, that's terrible. I think that this also, too, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, in addition to that, now you have to look at the, the people who have to make a decision. If Batman doesn't make the decision for him, really, about Quenville and Shovel Dayoff. Shovel Dayoff's been the GM of Winnipeg for quite a while now, maybe right after that Blackhawk Stanley Cup. He's been there for a good good minute. Uh, is he going to get fired? I mean, he seems fireable. It's not like the Black the, the Winnipeg has done so great that they can't fire him. That doesn't seem like too much of an obstacle, honestly. Or get suspended for a year or whatever. I'm not sure how it'll work with the GM. Quenville, on the other hand, look at the Panthers are going to look at right now. They have the best record in the NHL. Now they're going to, they have the same, the same problem. And if he doesn't get reprimanded in some major way and potentially fired, how do you not think that the, the Panthers are basically doing the same thing as the Blackhawks did? I mean, it won't have the same terrible negative effect with the Blackhawks did, but it's the same thing. Quenville gets a stake because he's a good coach. And right now they're 5-0-0. And it's no problem. Like if Quenville was still the Blackhawks coach, if this, let's say came out three years ago and didn't come out this past summer or spring, what would have happened? Quenville probably would have gotten fired because he was on his way to getting fired anyway, because the team was getting worse. But now he's on a team that's on the rise that hasn't won anything in 25 years. Big test of a character down there. And we'll see what happens with these meetings with Batman. This is just laid out in front of you. For you to come down hard on this and to show that you take this shit seriously and that you actually do have a little bit of empathy and that you do care and that you care about people who whose stories have not been shared and who have not been the, the talk of the sports world. Like, again, like all of the people who have had their stories covered up over the years, you know, like show that you care. But like even in this instance, like they can't do that. And it just sucks. Like. Gary Bettman is just spineless. All of these guys in upper administration for the league are spineless for, for coming down in this way on the Blackhawks. I mean, 
we should be, you know, you alluded to it before. We should be talking about these people like losing their ownership status. We should be talking yeah. about like, you know, and I, and there's going to of course be like pro- criminal prosecution involved with this too. But like, this needs to be way more than just like a couple million dollars. That's an easy, you know, signing a check over to somebody that doesn't make a dent in the change book or the pocketbook for you. Like this is, this should just be like the tip of the iceberg, but the league is just again, like not showing any sort of commitment to wanting to root this shit out. Like this does not, I mean, let's be real here. Like if you're another team around the league and like, this is all that's happening. Are you feeling, you know, extremely inclined to want to come forward if you have something no or maybe or maybe you're just not even worried about it then because you know that nothing's going to happen i I don't know it it just seems like the handling of this just sets a horrible precedent when in reality you could have set the tone for this for future instances so that people know like there's not that there's not another owner out there who is going to be who's like will catch wind of this and say oh no we need to cover this up like if you're telling people that like their ownership stake is at is at stake in this situation i think that you're going to see a lot of these cases reported to the league a lot more often if you're coming down harder on these teams like owners and upper management for teams are going to be way more forthcoming because they're not going to want to get screwed out in that way whereas with the blackhawks this punishment does not fit the crime in any way, shape or form. And I just think that it sends a horrible message to the league and the rest of the teams. And it sends a horrible message to the fans too. Sorry. That was really long winded. And (laughs) I apologize, but it's just really frustrating. So while you were talking, I got a notification from ESPN about a different uh, professional sports team uh, that the Washington football lawsuit that's going on uh, that, the NFL is keeping the results of its investigation private uh, and attorneys for the Washington football team as a, a former employees uh, reject that and say they want the investigation findings released. I have no idea why. I mean, the NFL said it would stay private to uh, protect the identities of the people that came forward and other people that come forward are like, we don't want that. So that's interesting. That's another thing that's going on in the world. It's funny that came that popped up right when we were talking. That's what I mean. All these yeah. leaders talking about how much they care about causes. That's like shut up. Like, no, you don't. Like, I oh my god, you don't care about anything except more yeah. money. <laughs> Which, like, I get it. It's not like I don't know. It's that's true. But you know, that's bad, but you know what's good? What? Sabres after dark is uh back. Oh sweet Jesus. Thursday, when you're probably listening to this, the Sabres have the ducks. At 10 p.m. You ready for some after dark action? I am. Unfortunately, they also so the Kings are on Sunday, and that's a so that's a 4 p.m. game. That's like after dark for Sunday, I guess. I mean, it what? might end after dark. Why don't they just bring Jack Eichel and drop him off somewhere <laughs> in Los Angeles or Anaheim? Yeah, either one. Just bring him, and wherever he ends up, he ends up. You know, drop him off somewhere. Take a couple guys with you on the way. You know, who's going to know if there's a little mix-up if Jack Eichel ends up in your dressing room and then Trevor Zegras just mysteriously disappears the next day. I don't think anybody's going to know. Yeah, just one of those first-round picks wanders out of out of your briefcase into another one. Exactly. Also, they have the Sharks on Tuesday after dark. That's a 10.30 start. And the Kraken at 10 p.m. on Thursday. So, first game against the Kraken. That'll be fun. Here we go. Yeah, so... So it's a, it should be an interesting stretch. Uh, I don't think any of those teams are particularly good, although I think 
the Kings are fairly talented. So it's been a weird start though, so far in this season. Um, the Florida, who I mentioned before, Florida is six and zero. It has a plus fifteen goal differential. Carolina is five and zero, and has a plus fourteen goal differential. St. Louis is five and zero, plus fourteen, and Edmonton's five and zero, plus eleven. Those are your division leaders right now. Four undefeated teams. I didn't even see that uh, Washington has yet to lose in regulation. So that's another one that you know they're at. They have not had a game without a point, but. Also, the bottoms of divisions are kind of interesting. There are a lot of interesting uh, starts so far. The Toronto Maple Leafs are two, four, and one. Ooh, Montreal yeah. is one and six. Oh yeah. Um, the Islanders, who were picked to win their division, are only three, two, and one. It's not bad, but it's not great either. Chicago and Arizona are both oh five and one. It's another thing with Chicago. They got Flurry and Tyler Johnson and Seth Jones in an effort to be relevant this year, both probably to satiate uh the, the desires of like Taze and Kane to try to stay you know stay relevant and be pretty good and they're terrible who and the Kings would have are... guessed that giving Seth Jones a zillion dollars would have been a bad idea who could have guessed I guessed so also Colorado's two and four the cup favorites are two and four Seattle's two four and one Vegas is two and four and LA is one four and one I thought LA was going to be good. Uh, what do you make of this? Strange starts around the league. It's early is what I make of it. Yeah. You know, I mean. Except Colorado, for Toronto. It's not early in Toronto. You guys are screwed. Oh, yeah. Toronto's done for, for sure. Like, you guys should probably just start selling off parts now. Um, oh, my God. In the case of, you know, Colorado, that's going to get turned around. Um, Makar for him is off to a, a little bit of a slower start from like a point perspective. You know, they had missed Nathan McKinnon, I believe the first game or first two games. Um, I have no worries there. Vegas, Mark Stone's been out the past couple of games for them. Uh, otherwise though, I have no concerns there. I think they'll be, end up being fine. Uh, especially when they have Jack Eichel for their playoff run. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Toronto's done. Um, I think that Toronto should probably just trade Austin Matthews to Arizona now. Um, Mitch Marner, he can go somewhere if he wants. They can get Phil Kessel back in that trade. See, there you go. That's perfect then. Um, they should just do like a one-for-one one. Kessel for, for Matthews. I think that's probably pretty fair, right? Yeah, okay. So you're going to throw a pick in to tip, the, tip the, the scales a little bit so it's a little bit more fair. Toronto... Uh, let's see, Toronto, Colorado, Vegas. Who is most likely to miss the playoffs of those three? Easy Toronto. Yeah, I agree, actually. I would say... I don't think they're gonna, but I agree. I don't think they will, but I think not even just like Buffalo, Toronto, hate aside. I think when you look at the divisions, especially, there's no way that Vegas isn't going to end up winning that division. The Central is a little bit better, is, is better than the Pacific, but I don't see a scenario where like St. Louis is going to finish ahead of Colorado. Um, whereas if you look at our division in the Atlantic, Florida's looking real good and it's probably going to stay that way. You have Tampa there and you have Boston right off the bat. Um, I mean, that could take up your top three spots right as it is. Then, you know, I, the rest of the division, I don't really think is, is jumping well, out. You could have, you could have five in the Metro. 
easily. That's what I was going to, well, yeah, that the rest of the division really isn't causing a threat. I don't think so. I think in the most likely of scenarios where Toronto misses, they would end up as the four, but then you have five from the Metro who then end up uh, making it in two teams. there, taking the final two wildcard spots. And let me just say that would be awesome. I would do <laughs> anything for the Leafs to not make the playoffs this year. I, Oh my God. I would, it would, the Sabres, I'll put it this way. The Sabres could literally lose the rest of their games, the the final 77 or whatever games that they have to go. The Sabres could go 0-77. If Toronto misses the playoffs, it would be worth it. Absolutely. <laughs> 100%. Would not even, I, I wouldn't take more than two seconds to think about that either. I would tra- make that trade any day. So, uh, your thoughts, would you, (laughs) I think I I would, I think that'd be very funny. There you go. So you have the division leaders, Florida, Carolina, St. Louis, and Edmonton all undefeated. All don't even have a overtime loss. So they're truly undefeated. Who do you think is most likely to not stay atop their division? I'll say, I'll say Edmonton, I think. Um, really? Oh, boy. Yeah, I, I, I do. I think that they'll end up in the top three in the Pacific, but I just have a lot of questions on their goaltending, if that's going to hold up, for, how it will hold up for them, if secondary scoring is going to continue for them. I think McDavid and Dreisaitl are good enough to drag them to the playoffs regardless, but I, again, I think with like the Pacific being so wide open and – Vegas being off to their slow start, I have a hard time thinking that would happen where Edmonton would be able to hold them off. The Central, I know I'm really high on Colorado and they were my cup pick. I still think that they'll end up winning the cup, but the Blues are getting something out of Vladimir Tarasenko right now. And it's making me wonder. And I read something too that Friedman was even questioning if that trade is even still going to happen now that Tarasenko is playing so well. Um, Bennington has looked pretty good to start off the year for them. Um, they're getting some solid play from their defensive core too. Like Justin Falk has really, after a unimpressive start with the blues has really gotten his game back on pace there. Um, so again, I still think Colorado will win that division, but wouldn't be surprised. I, I would be more surprised if St. Louis won their division than Edmonton, I would say. You and mean less that, surprised? Less surprised. I mean, excuse me. And then Florida, I think that they're really good. And I think that it's a coin flip at whether them or Tampa ends up taking the, the top spot in the division. And I like Carolina too, as I've said, I, I know we differed in that, that we, uh, in terms of how we viewed Carolina's off season, I really didn't hate it that much, um, especially with bringing in Anderson and Ranta, even though they definitely made a blunder with how they handled their goaltending situation and just giving away, uh, uh, Nettle Jokic. Yeah. God, I always, I'm like about to say it and I know it in my head and then like the words come out and I just like word vomit it. (laughs) But I think that situation was definitely not handled very well considering he should still be on the roster right now. But I think that Anderson and and Rantz are fine um, and and will be enough for them to to get over the the hump and and win the division. I I don't, yeah, I don't know. Who do you think? Um, Most likely to fall off. Oh man, 
I'm going to go with. It's got to be the West, right? Like. Yeah. More likely to fall off? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, one of those two. I'm going to go with. Surprised. I'd be surprised if St. Louis won the Central, but I wouldn't be surprised if Carolina or um, Florida won the Atlantic or Metro. Yeah. Edmonton's just. They're not good. I mean, they're not bad either. Yeah, like, but come on, man. They have two. Yeah. No, they're okay, but it's probably Edmonton. But I think it is close with the St. Louis, Colorado one, just because I trust Colorado so much to win the division. Now, on the other hand, I guess you could say Washington is tied with uh, Carolina in points. Carolina has a game at hand, but the Rangers are 4 2 and 1. The Metro looks good. I'm very so, curious for how well the Rangers are going to definitely fall off, but I am very curious for how Washington's goaltending situation is going to shake out between Vanacek and Samsonov. Very interesting. Maybe Both they should have brought good. back their best goalie from last year, Craig Anderson. I know. What a shame. <laughs> wow. Anything else today, bud? Not really. No. Do you have any? Uh, well, we were talking about our Halloween plans earlier. Uh, what are you dressing up as? Remains to be seen. Because I have to go to the thrift store today and check some stuff out either today or tomorrow. You know what you should do is like get a bunch of like fake body parts and have them all over you. And then you could be remains to be seen. (laughs) That's pretty good. That's one of the better pun costumes. Thank you. I have some ideas in mind, but it depends what the selection is like. No, I feel. Uh, What about you? What are you going to be? Well, on Friday night, if anybody needs plans, uh, my cover band is playing at Mr. Good Bar for their Halloween party. So you should come check that out. But for that, we're all dressing up as food and I am being a pineapple. Wow. <laughs> should be fun. We'll yeah, be little, cool. yeah, we'll see. I have to figure out what I'm going to wear Saturday because um, I'm playing another show, like a house show. But I don't know what I'm going to be for that yet. And then I'm definitely not going to dress up on Sunday because I'm going to the Bills game. So I will be dressing up as Stefan Diggs or Trey White on Sunday. Fun stuff. Um, Do you have a random Sabres player of the episode? Boy, do I. Um, Let's let's go with uh, let's go with Dixon Ward. Wow. I'm going to go with uh, William Borgen. William Borgen. Man, we'll be seeing him this week. That's right. Sabres after dark. Sabres after dark. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo on their respective websites, as well as whatever your streaming platform of choices. Both of those platforms are putting out awesome content every single day for the Hockey Podcast Network. All the info you need on the other 31 teams across the NHL with shows in each of their respective markets. So make sure you're checking out some of our fellow shows on the network. Also make sure you're checking out the charging Buffalo tons of great content being pumped out. Now that the season's underway from the day-to-day of the team to the prospects and potential prospects uh, coming along in the upcoming drafts. So make sure you're checking out the charging Buffalo and all of our fellow shows there as well. 
Make sure you are using that promo code THPN at checkout when you're using DraftKings. And make sure you're following us on social media as well. Straight Up Savers on Facebook and on Instagram and at Straight Savers on Twitter. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Monday right as Savers After Dark is getting in full swing. So have a great weekend, everybody. Happy Halloween, and we'll talk to you then.